Good morning, everybody. Um, so good to be here. Um, like Alex said, my name's Charlotte. I'm part of the team here. I'm involved in um, our work with students and young people. Um, so I'm often at the six, but the nine is also my morning service. So it's really good to be here this morning. Um, a couple of years ago, I was casually trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my life. I'd just finished a year of interning with church and doing two part-time jobs alongside that. And so I was just trying to work out what to do next. You know, what was the rest of my life going to look like? Who was I meant to be? Do I need to go traveling to find myself? All of life is a journey of figuring out who we are, how we relate to the world and the people around us, what our purpose is. And we journey through life, um, life stages, different roles, And at each point, we tried to figure out who we are in those situations or how we can still be us in them. It's all part of self-discovery. We want to know who we are because knowing who we are changes everything. I came across a blog recently which says, we've managed to make self-discovery a national pastime. It's a bit flippant, but I think more than a pastime, it's a longing inherent in our humanity. Cats and dogs and daisies don't seem to be afflicted by the same crisis of identity in the same way as us. Human life and identity is a complex puzzle. We don't even have just one identity anymore. We have our real identities and then we have our online identities. You know, there's me and then there's Insta me. We have the me that I want to be at work and then there's Friday night me. Um, For me, that's at home on the sofa in my pyjamas. There's the me that I would tell my grandma about, and there's the me that I wouldn't. But which is the real me? Who are we really? We want to know who we are because knowing who we are changes everything. And we've probably all gone through life feeling a bit lost or unknown to ourselves at some stage. But doesn't it always seem that the world and other people apparently know exactly who we are, and they want to tell us all the time? They tell us that who we are is found in our achievements, our background, our relationships, our sexuality. And when we feel unknown to ourselves and to others, our solution is to desperately look to these other things, to construct an identity for ourselves. And it can leave us feeling exhausted, trying to be something that we're not, and insecure as we root our identity and self-worth in external stuff and circumstances that will inevitably change. Because who am I then when I'm not where I thought I would be in my career by now? Who am I when I'm still single and everyone else around me is getting into relationships, getting married, having kids, and it feels like I'm being left behind? Who am I as a parent when my life isn't just all about me anymore? Who am I in my mistakes and in situations I never thought I would find myself in? Where am I in my depression or in my grief or my addiction? We're desperate to know who we truly are. And we want other people to know who we are too. In the world we currently live in, where relationships are becoming increasingly virtual and connections can so often stay at that level of superficial, to feel truly known is rare. But it's so powerful. It's why having a best friend at work is one of the most important factors in employee satisfaction and productivity. It's why vulnerability leads to greater connection. It's why it's so impactful when we feel listened to. Being known is powerful. 
David Benner is a um, Christian author, and in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, he wrote, genuine self-knowledge begins by looking at God and noticing how God is looking at us. This morning, I'd love to talk to you about Jesus and how, in a life with him, we can know what it is to be truly known and to truly know ourselves. And we're going to start in the Bible with a story of a woman whose life and identity was transformed when she encountered Jesus. Um, We're looking at John 4. It will come up on the screens, and I'm going to read it out, but feel free to follow along if you want. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And they chat a bit more, and then shortly after, the disciples return. And then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. In this story, story we have a woman who, at this moment, is defined only by her lifestyle, her past, and her background. As a divorcee who has had five broken marriages and is now living with someone that she isn't married to, she would have been rejected by her own community. As a Samaritan and not a Jew, she would have been told that she had no right or claim to a relationship with God. The overwhelming message speaking into her life right now is that she is nobody worth knowing. The thing about wells at this time um, was that they were typically a symbol of fertility, of socialization, of marriage. Collecting water for the household was typically the daily chore of the young women. And so if young men were on the market for a little romance, um, the well is where they would go. I guess it's kind of like the olden day equivalent of the nightclub. Um, And in the Bible, we actually find several accounts of men and women meeting at wells and then immediately getting engaged. So maybe not quite like the club. Um, And so when this woman comes to this well, which is not even in her own town because she wasn't accepted there, to get water alone at a time when no one else would be around because she's been cast aside, and she encounters a Jewish man who culturally would never associate with a Samaritan, let alone a woman, she is coming to a place that is just a reminder of all of the labels and all of the identity that she is currently wearing, of all that she currently thinks about herself and all that her society and her circumstances are telling her that she is. Shameful, rejected, 
unlovable, unworthy. Imagine how she must have been coming into that situation. But the man that she meets isn't just any man. It's Jesus, and he responds as only Jesus could do, by showing her that he knows her and by helping her to truly know herself. So first, he responds by showing her that he knows her, the intimate things about her that she'd rather keep hidden. Jesus is a stranger to her, and yet with him, this woman could feel more known and probably more honest than she has been able to in a very long time, maybe even ever. And he's not shaming her or asking her to change or explain herself. Instead, he does the opposite. He accepts her, a Samaritan, an outcast, a woman with a past. He engages with her as she is and shows her that she has something to offer him. What other people think doesn't matter. Her mistakes don't matter. Their differences don't matter. Jesus shows her that she is worthy of being seen and worthy of true life. There might be things that you find hard to accept about yourself, and you don't want other people to know you'll do anything to keep those hidden. But there is freedom and transformation in just being completely known and accepted by Jesus. With Jesus, we are truly known. And with Jesus, we can truly know ourselves. Because he doesn't just know us, but he also defines us. For me, the most touching part of this passage is when the woman says to Jesus in desperation, let me have what you are offering so that I don't have to keep coming back here to this place that is just a reminder of everything that I am and everything that I am not. She's desperately asking for a new identity, for freedom from all of these labels. And Jesus points her away from these things that he know will ultimately never satisfy, that could never do justice at revealing her true worth and identity. And instead, he reminds her who she was truly made to be. I've mentioned already, or Alex has mentioned already, that um, in my first year um, living in Portsmouth, I'd moved over from Brighton to be part of setting up the church plant, and so I was doing an internship, and alongside that I was working two part-time jobs, one of which was in a coffee shop. I was a barista, with absolutely zero barista experience. I feel like that's an important, important part to understand. And you know those times when you're doing something and you just feel this deep sense of... This is what I was made for. This is who I was meant to be. Well, this was not one of those times. My role dictated that I needed to be great at making coffee and doing latte art at the same time as making sandwiches and clearing tables and fixing the till and washing up the entire coffee shop's worth of crockery. My role needed me to thrive on pressure and love running out to Tesco last minute when we'd run out of milk or desperately needed more avocados. But you know what? That's just not me. Throughout my time working there, I just felt more and more that I was not cut out for this. This is not what I was made for. I was desperately trying to be something that I wasn't. And it was exhausting. Every time I felt like I wasn't coping, I felt like a failure. It felt like weakness. But the one thing that helped me to know who I was in that context and what I actually did have to offer in who I was, was Jesus. And I find the same thing time and time again. 
And in thinking about my own faith and my own relationship with Jesus, sometimes my tendency is to feel like I don't have a crazy story of transformation. My life has been relatively undramatic. Um, I've grown up going to church. I would say that I've always had a faith. I've always known what it's like to have God in my life. And yeah, I've had challenges and struggles and loss like anyone else, but nothing alpha video worthy, or so I thought. Perhaps some of you guys might feel like that too sometimes. But thinking like this, well, it's kind of arrogant for one thing, um, but it also completely sells short the transformation that has come for me in my life from being known by Jesus and coming to know how he sees me and who he has created me to be. Last Easter, um, our creative team here at Harbour hosted a Good Friday exhibition as a way of encouraging and engaging with creativity in our city. People were encouraged to perform or create something that represented what Jesus and the cross meant to them. Um, And without sounding egotistical, look at this cool thing I did. If, like me, you occasionally um, live your life in the world of Pinterest, you'll know that life's not about who you once were, it's about who you are now. But I think that maybe that's not quite right. I think life with Jesus is about who we have always been and always will be. So instead, I prefer this quote by writer and illustrator Emily McDowell, who says, Finding yourself is not really how it works. You aren't a $10 bill in last winter's coat pocket you are also not lost. Your true self is right there, buried under cultural conditioning, other people's opinions, and inaccurate conclusions you drew as a kid that became your beliefs about who you are. Finding yourself is actually a returning to yourself, an unlearning, an excavation, a remembering who you were before the world got its hands on you. That's what Jesus and the cross means to me. God doesn't need you to be something that you're not. And he's so ready to tell you who you really are. Our identity is not in a role or a job or what we say or do. It's not in the expectations or opinions of other people. It's not in things. Our identity is defined by the one who made us. It's in Jesus. Because if he is our creator, then that makes us a creation, If he is loved, then that makes us beloved. If he is merciful, then we are forgiven. If Jesus is faithful, then we are never forsaken. If he is knowing, then we are known. And if he is the source of true life, then that is what is on offer for us. And when our identity is in Jesus, life looks like freedom and adventure Because when our identity is not dependent on things that are changeable or fluctuating, and when it doesn't have to be earned and it can't be taken away, we don't have to fear the life that we're living. We get to live it. To be truly known and to truly know ourselves is a gift, I think, that comes only from knowing Jesus. And if you wouldn't say that you know Jesus um, here this morning, but you're interested in finding out more about who this person is and what life could be like with him in it, then I'd love to invite you to try one of our Alpha courses that we are running here. You can head over to the Welcome Wall at the end of the service to find out more, um, or all the information is on our website. But I'd really encourage you to give it a go. 
Because how much more livable does life feel when we know who we are and whose we are? How might the world look if everyone knew who they were truly made to be? How might our communities look different? How might our politics and conflict and relationships look different? How might our Sunday evenings look different when we're chilling at home by ourselves, not really doing anything, but we know who we are? Our Young Life team here at Harbour um, have come up with a vision statement for all the work that they do. It's seen, loved, important, because they want the future generations, your children maybe, to grow up knowing exactly who they are. Because if our identity is not threatened but secure, and if we know that it's from love that we have been created, it would transform us and it would transform the world. There's one other story of identity that I'd like to finish with, and um, it won't be found in the Bible, but in the Disney movie Moana. Um, And I'm not ashamed to admit that Moana is probably my favorite Disney movie. I really wanted to stay loyal to the original Disney classics, but Moana just blew me away with its ending, um, and we're going to look at it now. Let her come to me. Moana is Jesus, guys. (laughs) Well, not quite, but Jesus may well have written Moana um, because 
that is the story of a relationship with him that he is so desperate for you to know. He says, come to me. I have crossed horizons to find you. I know your name. They, the world, your past, your struggles, your circumstances, may have stolen the heart from inside you, but that does not define you. This is not who you are. In me, you know who you truly are. And then, through his act of dying for us on the cross and reconciling us to himself, Jesus restores our hearts and he restores us to ourselves. It's in relationship with Jesus that we discover who we truly are and we discover what it means to be truly known. Jesus offers us an invitation to be truly known and Alpha offers us an invitation to know Jesus.